You know, uh, iOS 16 has focus modes that can be tied to lock screens. But what I found out this week, and it blew me away when my son showed me that you can have it, that tie goes in both directions. So when he changes his lock screen, a focus mode changes. And when he changes his focus mode, a lock screen changes. So he can know just by looking at his phone, whether he's in like his work mode, his school mode, his do not disturb mode. This is amazing stuff. Super powerful. More tips like this, plus your questions answered today on Mac Geek Gab 947 for Monday, September 19th, 2022. Welcome to Mac Geek Gab. Welcome back to Mac Geek Gab. For those of you who have been listening along with us for a while, we are the show where you send in your quick tips like that, your questions, your cool stuff found. We try to share your cool stuff found and your quick tips. We try to answer all your questions. The goal being that we each learn at least five new things every single time we get together. That sound can play when we hear, when we learn a, a, a super important uh, new thing. I the, the one at the intro certainly earned that for me. Uh, sponsors for this episode include Coda.io slash MGG, uh, where you can sign up for free. This is an amazing thing. I highly recommend you check it out. It's like like all of your docs and services together in one thing. It ties it all together. It's great. Collide.com slash MGG with a K. Device security that uses Slack to message your users. It's fantastic. Upside uh, uh, yeah, Upside.com, where you can use code MGG to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. I did it this week. It's amazing. you got to check it out. And, uh, and, and some more stuff that we'll talk about during the show. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And here in Lee, New Hampshire, it's Pilot Pete. And you didn't give me enough of a break in there before the music started to give you that arcade sound. I know. The, I should have. On I, the new things found. Well, so. we'll try that next time. That's fine. Yeah, yeah I like it. That's good. Uh, John, let's keep going with the quick tips here. You've got a good one for iOS 16. And then later uh, in the episode, we have a whole thing of iOS 16 quick tips. But we can't help but get these first two out of the way because these are exciting. So here's number two. All right. Um, so got this off of Twitter from our friend uh, Dave Mark. Um, iOS 16 lets you see and copy your Wi-Fi password. Go to settings, Wi-Fi, tap on your network, and then tap on the password field. It's uh, and then it'll do verification, uh, I guess, face ID or touch ID. And then the password is shown in clear text. And if you uh, highlight it, you get two options, copy and speak. So that's nice. And huh. as you probably know, but if you don't, if you copy it and you are using handoff, I think it's handoff, you can paste it on another nearby device or machine. You guys do that, right? Yeah, that's fair. In theory, it would already have been synced to your devices that can handoff to, though, uh, with iCloud, right, right. Un unless you've just put it on and your other devices aren't on a network yet. Uh, which mm -hmm. obviously could happen. So yeah, that's a great thing. Or you can message it to people. I can't wait until iPad OS 16 comes out and most people have it because 
when I show up at gigs and I want to use my iPad to control the mixer, the engineers are generally very, you know, amenable to this. But more often than not, the stumbling block is, oh, crap, I don't know what the Wi-Fi password is to control the mixer. And it's in their iPad, right? But they can't surface it yet. But soon they can. So usually so I have good. to. You just answered my question. Because, yeah, you share the password with somebody on their iOS device, but they can't see what it is. Okay. Right. But now you can see what it yeah, is. Like in That's iOS nice. 16. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Perfect. More iOS 16 quick tips in a little bit. We, uh, we have a great non, well, it's a Mac quick tip from uh, new listener, Steve. He says, um, uh, I'm a, I'm a Mac admin at a big company and can't wait to learn more tips and tricks. Great. Uh, he says, I just listened to episode 944 and heard you guys discuss when employers monitor your status while you're working remotely. It reminded me of something I've used quite a bit to keep things like teams from switching me to away status. If I don't want my status to change, he says, I use caffeinate, which is a terminal command that allows your Mac to stay awake and even simulate a user activity. Uh, you guys are probably very aware of it, but if uh, if you're not now, you know. You can also set a timer on the command uh, with the string. So for me, I work out at my house when I'm remote, when I, and when I walk away, I enter sudo caffeinate-isu-t3600. We'll, of course, put this in the show notes. You don't need to copy it down. This keeps my Mac awake for an hour, since 3600 is the number of seconds in an hour. A handy thing to know to get through life. It's it's not uncommon, especially when watching game shows. They ask people like, how many seconds do you think it would you know take to do a certain thing? When you know that 3600 is is uh, an hour, like things start to you get to like start putting things together. Anyway, uh, he says my uh, team status doesn't go to away and everyone thinks I'm hard at work. I am just in my home gym. That's awesome. Yeah, I use a. Uh, an app called amphetamine on my Mac, which uses the caffeinate command because caffeinate is built right into to Mac OS and it uses that, but it gives me a, it gives me a couple of things. It gives me a graphical interface to the caffeinate command, but it also lets me trigger it based on certain events. So for example, I don't want to let my Mac go to sleep while FileMaker is running. We connect to remote FileMaker servers and it doesn't entirely recover graciously if it goes to sleep and wakes up. So I use caffeinate to change uh, or amphetamine rather to change uh, my max sort of sleep ability to nil when FileMaker is running. And then I use Marco Arment's quitter to quit FileMaker after two hours of non-use. So if I'm, if I leave FileMaker open, I'm not at my desk after two hours, it quits it. And then my Mac can go to sleep as it, uh, as it desires. So there you go. I don't know. How do you guys, do you guys use either of these apps and do you have any interesting use cases about them? John's shaking his head. No, everybody hear that? Shake I, your head harder, John. I heard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hang on. Um, hang on. I have a sound for that. When, when you shake your head, no ready. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. That's Perfect. the one. Yeah. Oh, how relaxing. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. Wait, that's a bad sound. <laughs> so that's not the desired effect. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, I don't use that. But if you're ready to move into the next one, right? Below sure. Yeah, yeah. Notes, yeah. Uh, I, I have been known to use uh, an app for my Mac called Fast Clicker, and that's an automated mouse clicker. Um, it will advance 
screens in Keynote. It, it basically, you can tell it to do a left mouse click, a right mouse click. You can set the number of interval, uh, I believe, in seconds. It might, it might be milliseconds. You oh, can wow. tell it to stop after 60 clicks. You can keep it going indefinitely, you know, however you want to do it. Um, I see it as an automated thing for like a keynote presentation. If you know you've got time in, but you want to be away from your computer, you can set it and start it and then perhaps give the presentation while the computer automatically advances, mm. those sorts of things. Interesting. Um, huh. Yeah. So fast clicker and the links in there in the show notes, it's a sourceforge.net. I could see that being used for like those automated classes that you have to take after you get a speeding ticket to lower the amount. <clears throat> And and maybe you know you're you uh, you, you want to really focus on the content and not clicking the mouse button, and so right. this could take that alleviate that pressure for you. There you go. Exactly. I don't and know. Perhaps at, at my company, there's some automated uh, training that's done. But uh, you know, I got to tell you though, they figured that out, and so there's there's quizzes in there and that sort of yeah. thing to yeah, bring, yeah. bring you back to home plate. And now and then, <laughs> <laughs> that would be my only caution with this tip is. Um, actually fast clicker sounds like a better solution because if somebody has the ability to review your screen remotely to verify that you're actually doing something, at least this will give the impression of that. Whereas I'll, using caffeinate, they'll just see a blank screen or, you know, uh, a screen and nothing's happening. Yeah. I mean, for like the teams away status, the, this caffeinate obviously works it, for the stuff we were talking about a couple of episodes ago, where there's apps that you permit your employer to put on your computer Hopefully you permit your employee. I mean, hopefully it's done with consent. Uh, some of those will actually use the camera to take a picture of the mm. the, you know, the, the 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 workspace of the computer. So you know, just be aware of, of how you're being tracked. Uh, speaking of something that we do not track, but that we do all the time is a Keynes. He says, do you know that if you double tap on your AirPods or headphones, you can skip chapters in the Apple Podcast app and triple tap to go back to the beginning of a chapter. I've only found this to work with podcasts that have chapters. Good news. Mac Geek Gab is a podcast that has chapters. And so uh, so this will work. So if you weren't sure and you wanted to hear that tip again, all you have to do is triple tap your AirPods and it will go back to the beginning of this chapter because we put a chapter mark at the beginning of this and it will jump you back. And uh, so there you go. Yeah, we uh, I, I we've been doing chapters for a very long time and I am it, it works with this show. I am proud to do it. Hey, how many times a day do you have to switch tools? You know where we all used to have to jump from a document to a spreadsheet to a project management app, all in the name of keeping up with our teams. Right. Is it that revolutionary to believe everyone should be able to collaborate in a single tool? This is why we've become huge fans of Coda. If your best work is spread out across documents, spreadsheets, and a stack of workflow tools that you have to jump in and out of all day, you need Coda, the one doc that brings words, data, and teams together. Coda is endlessly customizable and connected. They are copyable templates for anything and everything. Product roadmap, remote onboarding, OKR tracking, meeting notes, Listener question tracking, you name it, Coda has it. Coda adapts to growing teams and changing strategies, too. It can help change how you view information depending on what you need to do with it in that moment. And perhaps most importantly, Coda seamlessly integrates with all the tools you need. We're looking at this and, like I said, crafting a Coda template to track listener, like submissions from all of you. It's amazing. 
Your team deserves a tool that adapts to your team, not the other way around. So try Coda. And right now, you can get started having your team all working together on the same page for free. It's true. Head over to coda.io slash MGG. That's C-O-D-A dot I-O to get started for free. Coda.io slash MGG. And our thanks to Coda for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's do some iOS 16 quick tips, shall we, gentlemen? Um, do we oh, do we all have iOS 16 right on our ooh, devices? Ooh, ooh. I got a stupid question. It's not stupid. <laughs> stupid question corner. Okay, just there are no stupid questions, just stupid questions. Oh, no, and this one's especially um, not stupid. I, yeah. Like, yeah, oh, I did ask in the pre-show. Uh, when am, I, I, I thought it was supposed to be out by now. When am I going to see iOS 16 on my phone? Because I haven't, and I did. I actually did an update to 15. 15.7, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, so uh, that's, that's the issue here. And I was sitting on the couch the other night with my daughter, actually with my family. And my daughter's like, oh, yeah, I'll update to iOS 16 now. And then she's like, I'm like, you're doing it. She's like, yeah, yeah it's all going fine. I'm like, great. Then she's like, oh, crap. I updated to iOS 15.7. Why didn't I update to iOS 16? If you go into your phone, uh, you have to choose 16 separately. It is on the update screen right where you would find software updates and settings. Uh, I think it's so it's settings, general software update. I don't have my phone in front of me right now. But uh, where you would normally find them. And if you haven't updated to 15.7 yet, that's going to be the one that it presents to you. But look further down on the screen and you'll see the little, hey, you can also update to iOS 16 here. So gotcha. Yeah. All right. So now I don't feel quite so stupid, but yeah, not stupid. Not at all. No, it's it's like, you know, it's, it's one like, of those I things. Know it's coming. It's got to be there. Right. Any day now. And and John and I didn't see this before the last episode because we wanted to have iOS 16 on our devices. So we didn't uh, we had to we put the, the well, I mean, we we beta, took right. the beta process of putting we put the release version on our phones. But yeah. uh but yeah, it, you know, so I had no idea about this until, until it was released and then people were sharing screenshots and it was like, ah, okay, this is going to be one of those things. So I should have had it in the agenda. Thankfully you put it in the agenda for us, Pete. So there you great. go. And as I recall on the last show, we, you did say that if you have the, the beta version, you have to tell it now I'm on the release version so that you get updates to the release else you're stuck on the beta. Yeah. You, forever. you would get a 16.1 beta uh, offered to you if you if you kept the beta profile alive in the uh, in the phone yeah okay yeah yeah i i deleted it yeah same yeah yeah everything's everything seems to be working i yeah agree yeah mm -hmm. i the, the one nice thing about the the 16.1 which is available in the betas john is that you can have battery percentage shown on your iphone mini whereas on the 16.0 it only works with the larger screen iPhones. I don't know why they chose that, but yes. Yeah. I, I found that out. Yeah. I'm like that. I don't have that. It's because I guess they judge that my screen is too small to handle it. Yeah. But 16 one, you'll get it. So you're fine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple of other things to walk through here in iOS 16 is that battery percentage. So you, you do that in settings, battery, battery percentage. So that's, that's the first little trip. A little trip. It's always a little trip with us, isn't it? Uh, the second one that I have is go into settings, sound and haptics, keyboard feedback, and you can turn on haptic. And what this will do is it will 
make it so that you feel when you are typing on the keyboard. It, it's for me, it's a game changer. I love this because I don't have my sound on, so I don't hear key clicks. But to feel that keyboard feedback, uh, you can turn on, you know, for sound and for haptics. And then you can choose back on the sound and haptic screen at the bottom of it. There's a little infographic that uh, shows what you've set. And so you get, you know, whether you're getting haptics when you're in ring mode or in silent mode, like you get to pick all of that stuff. But I I love it. It's been it's been a game changer for me. So I'm stoked about that one. Have either of you tried? Did either of you know about that one? Like that was news to me. So I, I did. Oh, you did. Of course. Yeah. You know, obviously. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I love the haptics and I can see the advantage to that. That's that's going to be nice to have. And you don't hear. Yeah, right. But it, but it, you feel it and it, yeah. it it makes it feel it works. It, it's a very sort of uh, visceral thing. I, I I'm like I said, I'm into it. So I and I'm glad I put it on the list because. I turned it on, and for about the first six hours, I was totally gaga over the feature. And now I don't even think about it anymore. It's because it's just normal, right? And that's the beauty of it. Yeah, I, I got to say, um, you know, gee, like we're Apple fanboys here or something, but uh, boy, this is a company that really gets the human machine interface. Yep, they just do. Yep, uh, I agree. I wish more, wish more airplane companies. <laughs> <laughs> car, Got car, that. car companies, car airplane companies, companies yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. refrigerator company, like everybody, it would, life would be better if exactly. I, I'm not, I don't want to say life would be better if Apple made everything. I'm not really into one company sort of owning Apple gets, gets a, a, a large enough slice of my life as it stands and, and I'm okay with it. Like I choose it. It's not forced upon me, but um, yeah. Yeah. That being said, some of them are pretty good about that. Yeah. Obviously, it takes a lot more to put an airplane together. You got Honeywell and GE and Rolls and uh, you know all those folks. They have to get together and do it. But uh, right, um, that's yeah. yeah, that's fair. It's it's Apple has the one widget approach. Yeah, yeah. So they're able to yeah. do it. So. I'd I'd personally, Dave, find that distracting because to me, haptics in my mind, the way I use my phone, indicates that something important may have just happened. Have you so used pay it? Attention to me. Have you used no, this? No, I haven't. I, okay. I can try it, but I predict I would find it not useful. I, I, I would, but I'll, I'll, I'll try it. Yeah, okay? I, would, I would suspend I promise, your but, uh, suspend your your uh, preconceived notions because it's it's not it's not a very strong haptic response. It's just okay. enough to know That's that fair. you've typed. I, I mean, listen, let's put it this way: your um, your laptop has a haptic response on the trackpad. Right. Because when you click your trackpad, there there is no click. It is it is simply receiving a sensor. But you feel like you've clicked something and it like you believe that it, you may not even know that this was happening. Right. This might be uh, news to, to you or some of you that, uh, you know, Apple laptops for years have not had movable trackpads because moving mm -hmm. parts equals bad. And yet that haptic makes it feel like this immersive visceral experience. That's what they've approximated or that's what they've put on the iPhone. It's, it's in fact, quite literally the same thing uh, as what we get out of the trackpad. So, right. Yeah. Okay. The first time I realized that that wasn't actually moving. And it's like, oh, that's just a haptic. Oh, my gosh. It is so realistic too yeah but you can set the intensity of it That's yeah, yeah. The other thing. on on the on, on the, the mac. mac you can set the intensity yeah. of of how how much you feel that click uh, on the phone 
with the with the key clicks, you don't get to set that. So it's it's just it just feels like you're typing on a keyboard. Like I said, it I noticed it at first and liked it, and then it like it went away. So I would I would for anyone who's skeptical about it, but want, but yet wants to you know experience it, try it for a day. Don't give up after five minutes. You know, try it for a day and see how immersed in it you get. My guess is many of you will mm-hmm. will forget to turn it off. Is <laughs> really what yeah. it comes down to. I'm pretty sure I have it turned off on my laptop as well, just because again I really. So you don't feel when you click your trackpad. Your trackpad? That I would find that. Uh, like, uh, no, you're right. Okay. okay. Yeah. If, if I, well, no, if I tap lightly, right, I don't oh. feel anything. If I press down, yeah. then yeah, then I'll get, get a, a very subtle yeah. haptic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So while we're still on iOS 16, I wanted to address there's a question in the comments section, which is no iOS 16 for iPad yet from Michael Ehrman. <gasps> oh, yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. So it's it. that. <laughs> There would never be an and I and now I'm being like ultra pedantic, but I'll 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 tip my hat to Brian Chaffin for this. Uh, there will never be an iOS 16 for iPad, but there will be iPad OS 16. And Apple announced a couple of weeks ago that uh, that that was being delayed. It seems like it's being delayed partially because of uh, Center Stage, right, which is also coming to the Mac with Ventura. Uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me if the two of them are released at the same time as iPad OS and Mac OS being released in concert with each other, as opposed to iPad OS and iOS being released in content in concert with each other. So uh, it seems like that's where it's heading. I installed Ventura, by the way, on my laptop recently, uh, you know, just a couple of days ago. And it's great. The system settings app, all the complaints that people have had about the user experience and and really just the layout of that system settings app in Ventura, even in the current beta, which at, at the moment I'm running beta seven, it, it's terrible. I mean, the app itself is fine. And I, I there's like an asterisk there. Like, it's fine. I, and I'm it's only been a couple of days. So I'm, I'm letting my change resistance sort of sit by the sidelines for two weeks before I really have judgment. But uh it like the the layout of it. It's just like it's it's as though a user experience designer or even just a user interface designer, like forget about experience, never went in there. There's there's all kinds of like text overlapping and it looks terrible. Uh, mm. uh, one thing I will share, and I I hope we remember to share this when Ventura comes out. Time Machine is now inside System Settings General. I never would have found it without search, folks. Never would have found it without search. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I got one. Go. I haven't tried it yet. But um, so they added a feature to photos in iOS 16. Okay. Um, so go into photos, albums, utilities, and there's something called duplicate detection. Oh, interesting. And sure enough, so I ran it, or I think it ran it already. Yeah, when I I remember when I was setting up iOS 16, there was at one point it said, yeah, Photos is doing something, so I can't show them to you yet. Right, right. Yeah, Um, okay, yeah. But yeah, so albums, utilities, duplicate detection. I I was afraid to try it. I'll I'll make a backup first. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Because you're a smart guy. In case it didn't get right. But it looked like it got it right. I mean, we show images side by side and i'm yep that's a dupe interesting huh that's cool i 
Huh. I, I th- Everybody else has been doing it for years. I guess Apple decided to get in the game on, you know, the. Yeah. And Kiwi. And I did it. There was a couple others. Kiwi Graham in the chat asked the question. He crystallizes the question that was I was trying to percolate. Uh, he says, does duplicate detection work on photos that aren't in full res on the iPhone? Meaning, does it work mm-hmm. on photos that are in your iCloud library, even if you haven't downloaded all the photos to the phone? I, like I would assume I and now I am entering the land of, you know, pulling things out of my backside. Never uh, assume. <laughs> yes. Uh, where I, I would assume that Apple would not implement this feature without being. You know, full with it. So I'm going to say yes, but I also can't imagine how that could happen on device without it pulling down everything from iCloud, which would be astronomically, you know. Yeah. So. Maybe it's using some sort of algorithm to go, yeah, this is, you know, or hash, you know, yeah, these. Yeah, yeah right. Or like, like, is it, it? Yes. Is there some? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, I don't see the option now, but I think that's because I just recently did a restore on my phone, which maybe we'll talk about why I did that. Uh, I have questions for you. So I go to photos, albums, where, where did, uh, what was Scroll you down say? and you'll see utilities. Utilities. Yes. I see duplicates. Oh, it's already done it. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so it kind of is doing it itself. I see. So maybe. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like I can trigger this. It's already triggered it. And now I get to just. Uh, take advantage of the data that it is providing me. I like this. Okay, cool. Wonder if it'll do it when you're in the low power mode. You know, supposedly. Oh, probs not. Probs not. Or maybe it only does it when it's like I. I maybe it only does it when it's um, on charge because I notice photos is often the thing. If I look in like battery usage or power usage or whatever on my phone, when my phone is on charge, photos is often using like a ton of background CPU, which makes sense. Like if it wants to do all its stuff, do it when you've got, got the juice. So yeah, 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 yeah that's what I would choose. All right. I got uh, one more that many of us will not see, but some of us will. If you go into settings, general and about, you will see all sorts of information about your phone. If your phone has ever had a part replaced by Apple, you will see that listed in settings general about. I don't think this was there in iOS 15. My son noticed it because he had um, part of his phone repaired or replaced last year. I forget what part it was, but... uh, but he was like, hey, look at this. And it, it showed the, that the part was Apple certified and everything was, you know, copacetic according to Apple and all that good stuff. So, yeah, fascinating wow. stuff. Hey, you know, from cringing at the pump to getting an eye popping bill at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts and it can really hurt. And that's why I'm stoked about our new sponsor, Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries or dines out. And with every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. It's actually really easy to get started. You download the free Upside app and then you use our promo code MacGeekGab and that gets you $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. And then you claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. You do this thing where I open the app, I check in 
at the like I, I've been using it at the gas station. Right. So I check in at the gas station and then I pay as I normally would with my credit card or debit card. I guess you could use I use my credit card and then you get paid. And it's that simple. Like it really just works. It's it's not one of these too good to be true things. Right. It It actually is true. In comparison to all those credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. And that's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code MACGEEKGAB to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code MACGEEKGAB and our thanks to Upside for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's talk about uh, the iPhone 14 migration strategy. So this is releasing on Monday the 19th which will be a few days after folks start receiving their iPhones 14. We are recording this on the Friday prior. So uh, UPS has not delivered our phones to us yet, but, uh, but actually that may not be true. It might may have arrived while I've been recording with you here. Uh, so we have not migrated to our iPhones 14 yet, but it is time to begin talking about that. And I've done some pre-migration things uh, that many of us will choose to go through. Uh, but John, you want to start us off with Gary? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, Gary said, I backed up my iPhone to iCloud anticipating my 14 Pro. Do either of you know which path is better? Populate the new one from iCloud or phone to phone? Um, yes, do both. <laughs> uh, seriously, I'd make a backup iCloud or otherwise. Um, but I kind of like the phone to phone option. I don't know if you ever tried it, Dave, but you basically put your new phone next to your old phone. And then uh, this little star field pattern appears, which I assume is some sort of SSID or something uh, to get the two phones talking to each other. And then it just goes from one to the other. I've found that that works. But um, if not, I mean, the iCloud backup strategy, I as I mentioned, I just went through Overstore, and that works great. It just takes a while. So. Right. Yeah, that that would be my feeling on it is, uh, you know, you're going to be doing this wirelessly either way because that's what your phone is, a wireless network device. And so I, you, you know, going over via iCloud, you've got the Internet involved, potentially slowing you down because of your Internet connection. Even Wi-Fi congestion in your home could slow that down. Whereas when it's phone to phone, it's an ad hoc network between the two devices and it's as fast as it could possibly be. So to get your data from one to the other. And it's also the most current version of your data, too. Right. So you're, you're not having to say, oh, let me back up to iCloud first again, one last final time and then go do this thing. So, yeah, I like it. And the nice part is, yes, if you have the storage on iCloud and can do a backup there, great. But your old phone will be a backup for you. So if you can't back up to iCloud, you kind of already have a backup because you're not wiping your old phone. You're just copying the data from it. So it becomes your backup. I do recommend turning off Wi-Fi uh, and all networking, but go airplane mode after you've done the migration, go airplane mode on your old phone so that it's not also like participating in your iCloud things. 
Uh, not that that would be the necessarily terrible thing, but I, I always just try and kind of keep it on in stasis, right? So in case my new phone does something terrible and munges all my iCloud data, I, which I don't expect, obviously, but, you know, that's the point of a backup is the scenario you don't expect that, you know, I kind of put it on ice and don't let it talk to the network and, and then, you know, it's golden. So, mm. yeah. Multiple backups. Good idea. Right. I mean, that's what it is. It, it's already right there. So, yeah. Um, so the question I had yeah, then was, and I think you answered it in there. That, so it's not doing it over Bluetooth. It's actually Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi between the, the quicks, the phones. Yeah. Because I was going to say Bluetooth is really slow. Too slow. Comparatively. Yeah. 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 Okay. It, yeah. I don't know if it ever uses Bluetooth for the, you know, for finding it in the negotiations. It might use it for discovery, let's say, but it's, it's definitely using Wi-Fi for data transfer. And, and uh, the thing that you saw on the phone that you described, the little star field that you, you know, focus the, the phone's camera on to pair them up together. Same thing that you'll see when you get an Apple watch, John, it puts that star field on your Apple watch you uh you you know scan it with your phone and that magically pairs those two devices together so i think that was the first place we ever saw that was on the apple watch mm -hmm. and then it it yeah. it moved to the the phones i um i noticed this week that the iPhones 14 at least those released here in the united states are all using eSIMs now there is no physical sim tray on it and I thought, OK, and I've been thinking for a while that I should convert away from using a physical SIM anyway. My phone can store the numbers are sort of fuzzy, but iPhones can store somewhere between like four and ten uh, eSIMs in them with two SIMs active at the same time. And, and if you have a SIM tray, one of those SIMs can, of course, be a physical SIM. But you could have two eSIMs active at the same time now, too. And I think that started with the 12 and later. So um, so I, I figured, well, I know that there's some part of the process of upgrading or migrating to a new phone that will convert your regular SIM on your old phone to an eSIM on your new phone. I was not entirely thrilled with that process happening with two different devices. And so I decided... I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to convert. Now, for some carriers, uh, certainly with AT&T, uh, and I don't have AT&T, but but some of you do and you've shared this with me. Uh, with AT&T, if you go into settings, I believe it's settings cellular, uh, you will see if you have a physical SIM, you will see an option in there that says convert to eSIM. And that will take care of it within the settings app, and I think that's just a partnership with the the carrier. Uh, for my carrier with Mint Mobile, uh, that option wasn't there, but it was super easy. I just launched the Mint Mobile app. I said, order a new SIM. And at that point, it asked me, do you want uh, an eSIM or a physical SIM? And I said, eSIM. And it said, is this the phone you want to put the eSIM on? And I said, yeah. And so within about three minutes, uh, I was finished. It starts the process. It, it like authenticates your eSIM online with Mint Mobile. It tells you, make sure you're on a Wi-Fi network because you're going to lose connectivity in the midst of this. I'm like, okay, great. Uh and then uh, it says, and then it sort of jumped to the the standard Apple. You're adding an eSIM interface that happens like when you go get an eSIM when you travel or for data or whatever. And I went through it, and in the end, uh, I my was activated on my new SIM, but I had you know I had yet to remove the physical SIM because it's you know it's like that's the last step of the process. And so my phone showed me that I had 
two networks. Uh, one of them was was dead. It had no service, obviously, because my eSIM, my physical SIM had been deactivated. And then the other one was, you know, on the network. So I took out the old SIM. And when I did that, it asked me, it's like, do you want to update your contacts? It did the thing that your phone does when you're like changing SIMs. It's like, do you want to update your contacts to use the new SIM? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because if you use two SIMs, you can tell your phone, uh. You know, when I call John, I want it to use SIM number one. When I call Pete, I want it to use SIM number two. And that would be if you have numbers in, you know, different locales or whatever, if you get a better rate or who knows. Right. So it was just like you're down to one SIM. You want to update your contacts so that everybody uses this new SIM. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. But other than that, yeah, it went for me. It went smoothly and took all of about three minutes. Unfortunately, John, <laughs> not all of us experienced that same thing. Right. Um I had to deal with tier two support, which um, if you've never dealt with support, tier two are generally more skilled um, people than the first person you and talk to. And that's T-I-E-R, not T-E-A-R. Yeah, well, sometimes. <laughs> okay. uh, sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, I, just, um, just for clarity so that people aren't yeah. don't feel like they're dropped into the middle of a story, you explain who your carrier is and whose T2 support you were using. Was it Apple's or was it your carriers? All right. So um, I was given a challenge by you, Dave, to convert my phone from a physical SIM to an eSIM. Mm. I have the 12 and it has both. Um, look at, uh, so, and so I'm with Verizon and I have the iPhone 12 mini, which is registered with them. So um, I went online and searched their support forms and it's like, uh, you don't really get a you know, that magic button to convert, you're going to have to call in. So I'm like, okay, no problem. So I called in, got their support. They escalated me when they're like, oh, you want to do this? So when I first got the phone, they were like, no, we can't do eSIM for you. Now they can probably forcing, it probably forced their hand by yeah. having the latest phone have no physical SIM. <laughs> so, um, and, and we were able to do it though. It got a, uh, the process that I went through, um, and we're going to link to a nice article that talks all about eSIMs, is called eSIM carrier activation, which basically means you got to call your carrier. I had to give them, I think it's the IMEI2, um, which is the unique identifier for the eSIM. And she's like, okay, just read that number to me. And then she's like, you know, turn off the phone, wait five minutes, and then turn it back on. And I'm like, okay, turn it back on. And it's like, hey, an eSIM is on the way. You want it? And I'm like, yep. Uh, then it got a little confused because I don't think I pulled my physical SIM at the right time because then I had two lines with the same number. That's what I explained. That's a normal part of this process. It, yeah. Yeah. The thing is, I probably should have pulled it because the thing is, she's like, OK, well, you know, delete that one. And I'm like, OK. And I deleted that one. And I'm like, oh, no, now I have no service. And you can usually tell because you'll see a little SOS in the menu bar, which basically means you don't have any cell service. <laughs> Um, but yeah, then uh, once we, we removed the SIM and then she had me do a backup and restore, which probably wasn't necessary, but Hey, why not? Um, now I am totally on eSIM on this phone. Okay. So Casey Liss posted an article about his experience going from a Verizon wireless, you know, a, a normal physical SIM to an eSIM with Verizon. And I think he did this even before iOS 16 was out. So 
for for the for different reasons he was in the same boat as you or maybe for the same reason but uh you know he couldn't click the magic button but he didn't have to talk to support he didn't have to do any of these things he said he just logged into his account and this is why i was sort of confused when you were saying this because i was helping my my niece actually transition away from verizon recently uh we moved her to mint as well since we're paying her bill while she's at college and uh she, you know, I remember seeing in her account order an eSIM or activate an eSIM or something. And and that's what Casey did. So I'll I'll put a link to this in the show notes for anyone who is a Verizon customer, because I, I think you can completely avoid support um, and okay. uh, and do this. Yeah. And Casey, for those of you who don't know, Casey Liss is one of the hosts of the Accidental Tech podcast. Uh, great, great human. And uh, and a smart, smart person. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Converting your wireless, your Verizon SIM. Yeah. So. I okay. I probably oh, should have gone to the site or looked in the app. Yeah, yeah. The app might also do it. Right. I, I It would surprise me, in fact, if it didn't. But like I said, it's it, even in like Mint's app, it was 100% doable in the app. Like I said, it took three minutes. But it wasn't. There was no convert to eSIM. It was order a new SIM. So I kind of had to sniff around a little. But then once I sort of moved through, the only weird question was it asked me, are you on your new phone? And I had to say yes to that. That was how I told it. I effectively took that as a question. Is this the phone on which you want to install the eSIM? And my answer was yes. <laughs> so that that's why, I, at least on Mint, I said, so yeah, I think some of these apps aren't quite like the, the, the verbiage in there is not entirely what we might be looking for. So just kind of head down the path of ordering an eSIM. Once you get that and once it's on, your physical SIM is dead, like, and it will never be good again. So then once it's done, you just take it out. But yeah. So I got a question from the peanut gallery. Yeah, man. Why? Why what? Why? So why? Uh, okay, aside from the 14, okay, which needs an eSIM because it doesn't have a physical SIM card. Correct. What, but what's the advantage of going to eSIM on? Why, why would I want to take my 12 and, and convert it to an eSIM? Well, I. so I'm going to get all, I'm going to talk about, what, what did I say earlier? I think it's going to be the Just title of the episode, episode <laughs> the land of pulling things out of my backside. Uh, yeah, we will revisit that land. And, and so... Um, Sims can like physical Sims can get damaged. I've had right. physical Sims go bad. Right. Yeah. And if you get wet, I guess. Yeah. Well, I've just had them like flake out. I've also, okay. and I don't, this is where I'm definitely pulling things out of my backside in that. I simply don't know, but there have been times in the past where I needed to go get a new SIM from my carrier in order mm -hmm. to take advantage of you know, some new frequency radio that they were using. It wasn't available in the, in the, in, you know, that physical SIM didn't yeah. have that radio enabled. And so I needed to go literally get a new physical SIM in order to, to do that. Where now they just push a firmware update done. Exactly. It's just yeah. right there in the eSIM. Okay. And so for me, I've been thinking about this for a while since we started talking about eSIMs on the show. It was like, well, I really probably should just move mint to an eSIM. Is there any reason not to, and I mean, I, I waited way too long, right? I mean, I, you know, I probably fretted about this for six months, but, uh, but finally came to the realization, no, there's no, there's no reason not to. Now I will share something. And this is the plural of anecdote is not data. Uh, I can't speak to this with any authority other than sharing what I experienced for the last two weeks. My neighborhood went from having 
sometimes 5G, mostly LTE at the house and office here to having no service until I left my neighborhood. I would get that little SOS all the time unless I was on like Wi-Fi calling at home until I was out of the neighborhood and then everything was fine. And I like I don't know if they changed. I clearly some changed happened because it was happening to everybody in my house. And we're all on on Mint, which uses T-Mobile's tower. So maybe T-Mobile made a change here in Durham. I don't know. But at some point, something changed. When I moved to that eSIM, I now get LTE and 5G at my house again. Now, this could be completely coincidental. It could be completely anecdotal or it could absolutely support my conspiracy theory that having an eSIM could be updatable over the air and it and, and frankly is current, right? Like I've had Mint for two years now. So that is at least a two-year-old sure. SIM, if not, you know, if not older. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, when I got my 12 and I still had a SIM, I think I transitioned from an 8 okay. to 12. That sure. sounds right. <clears throat> sure. As soon as I put the SIM in the 12... I got a text message from Verizon and they're like, dude, your, your SIM is, is won't do 5G. So come into the store. Yeah. Fortunately, we have a Verizon company store in town. So yeah, I went, went there and you know, they popped in a new SIM and, and every, and then I got 5G slowly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. Well, they're still in, rolling it out, but it's theory. getting a lot better. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's to me, that's why, but also, you know, a SIM can go bad. The, the chances of it, I mean, it's not like you're taking it in and out of your phone all the time. But I know, you know, I keep Murphy on speed dial. And uh, I know that if my SIM is going to go bad, it's going to be like while I'm traveling in the middle of Malaysia somewhere. And I have zero plans to go to Malaysia. <laughs> but I know as soon as I make them, my SIM would have been getting ready. Like, OK, here we go. We're and here. <laughs> now, now I'm in Malaysia. I don't have Wi-Fi access because I haven't figured out where I am yet. And now I can't use my phone. Right. And so, like, I, I figured with an eSIM, maybe I'm better off. Now, there is a downside to the eSIM. When I get my new iPhone 14 Pro, I can't simply take the physical SIM from my old phone and put it in the new one, right? So I have to go through this reprogramming of the phone thing, which thankfully we can do on our own. And hopefully most of us don't have an experience like you had, John. And, uh, you, you know, and it's a it's a smooth experience. But But there is that, like there is that bit of friction that's sort of involved there. And if, you know, if my phone gets damaged in Malaysia and stops working, I can't just take the SIM out of it and put it in a new phone. I have to find, you know, I always travel with a spare phone. Well, now I can't just move SIMs around. I have to be traveling with a phone that supports eSIM and, you know, is, is somehow ready to be able to go through this process. And I'm going to need to be able to get on Wi-Fi to do it. So there are downsides. Yeah. And yeah. And, Go ahead. I was just saying, do um, they still do locked phones? Uh, like to the to the carrier, AT and T, Verizon. I don't even know. I haven't bought a locked phone in years. Uh, Verizon has not been allowed. I think it was some deal they made with the FCC to get Spectrum or something. But Verizon phones are haven't been locked for a long time. That, yeah, at least they, not mine. Yeah, no, you're right. That that was when they moved from like CDMA to to GSM or whatever we're using now when Verizon made that move that you're right. The FCC was like, okay, but <laughs> you gotta, you gotta agree to this. Yeah. But yeah. you're right. AT&T so, locks them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to mention the, the point that Mike here made uh, to kind of follow up with your point, Dave. Sure. Um, yeah. So we got a note here from Mike and apparently the iPhone 14 may not be for everybody. 
Um, so with the iPhone four, so he says with the iPhone fourteen, it appears Apple has eliminated the SIM in favor of using eSIMs. That's true. The only problem is many small resellers and providers don't currently support eSIMs. Uh, so his question is: Is the fourteen for him if he's using a SIM based budget carrier? And uh, I think my best answer is no. Well, I, I mean. <laughs> It depends, right? Like I would go through this process of converting your your physical SIM to an eSIM on your existing phone. And if that succeeds, well, now you know the answer. You can get a 14, right? Right. I think what he's saying, though, is that the, the, the whatever carry he has it doesn't appear to offer that option. Got it. Point. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And if they don't, then quite frankly, I'd say pick a new carrier. And the, the easy answer, if you're in the United States, is to at least check out Mint because it's going to be the least expensive with great coverage. And I they, they used to be a sponsor here. They have not been a sponsor. I happily pay them all the time because I pay them so much less than I used mm-hmm. to pay AT&T. Right. It, it's it's half price. It's Less half than price. half. It's yeah. half price. That's right. Yeah, it's crazy. And now I get to talk about our sponsor, Collide. Traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state. It can turn your users and the IT team into adversaries and ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. Listen, it doesn't have to be this way. That's not a good way. Collide is a device security solution built around honest security. Their whole philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest security risk. They're your biggest allies and your relationship with your employees should be based on transparency and informed consent. Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack and giving them step-by-step instructions on how to resolve them themselves. For IT and security teams, Collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac, Windows, and Linux devices, and it can answer questions about your fleet security that traditional MDMs cannot. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash MGG to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll even hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating that free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MGG. And our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. Hey, guys. So I had that conversation I promised I was going to try to have with Synology about... The future of hardware transcoding on disk stations. And for a long time, most of the disk stations, especially the plus disk stations that were coming out from Synology, were using some flavor of Intel processor, generally a Celeron, that had a GPU in it. And it's the the existence of the GPU that enables what we call hardware transcoding. It's still software. It's just using the GPU instead of the CPU, which generally speaking, is much better suited to do transcoding of video uh, than a CPU is. It can It's much more efficient at it. And, you know, in like the 2020 versions of the disk stations, the 1520 plus, the 920 plus, those sorts of things, the Celeron that was in there could do, uh, you know, could hardware transcode a 4K video on the fly down to, you know, 720p or whatever, which is amazing when you're traveling and need to rely on the server, a.k.a. your disk station, to 
send you less data, right? Like if your Wi-Fi in the hotel sucks, then you 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 can't take, you know, 25 megabits per second of 4K video like you might want when you're at home. And so you need it to transcode and you need it to do it there because it because of all that. What I have noticed, though, is with the 2021 and now 2022 models of the disk stations, they've moved to the AMD processors. The Ryzen is one of them. And they're much better on the CPU side, but they completely lack GPUs. And I started getting worried because it meant, and I have to say this, I, you know, I, I have to offer a, a bit of a rata. I said that the 1522 plus was a good Plex server. I, I, I've decided it is not. I've moved my Plex server back to my 1520 plus. So I have the 1522 plus running pretty much everything that doesn't have to do with media. And then my 1520 plus my fifth. Yeah, my 1520. So the two year old one is the one doing the heavy lifting of the transcoding. I actually have it pointing to the other one. The data is all stored on the 22 uh, with and I have it pointing with NFS, which is a geeky thing. If you want to know about it, ask me. I'm happy to dig into it. But uh, but I asked Synology what the future looked like. And they they shared something with me. There are no current plans to include GPUs for transcoding purposes in their devices. Their thought process is that the server is the least powerful place to do any transcoding, and it's much better when that happens in the streaming devices. Okay, uh, but I shared with them that specifically when using mobile or traveling, when transcoding must happen on the server because of those bandwidth constraints we just talked about. Uh, they are looking at this internally and will share more as information becomes available. Uh, and. They were also curious to hear people's thoughts on pre-transcoding when you're traveling so as to avoid the need for this, right? Because you can do some of that pre-transcoding in Plex. Synology's own video station offers offline transcoding so that you can convert your videos to, you know, a smaller MP4 container that, that has maybe a 720 instead of the, the 4K one. And so you can leverage the CPU to do that in a, you know, non-timely fashion, Uh I, you know, I, I never know what I'm going to want to watch when I'm on the fly. And and some of the things that I want to watch from a hotel room are things that like my channel's DVR app records. And so those have to be those those can't be pre-transcoded pre because they're recorded sort of live. And so uh, but I'm I'm curious. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. Let us know what your what your thoughts are on this, because Synology is listening. I I, I can't stress that part enough. They are abs. They had not thought about this until I don't I can't say they hadn't thought about it. This they were very appreciative. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. They were very appreciative when I brought this idea to them uh, and uh, and are are very much into considering all of this as as time marches forward, as they said. So, yeah. So there you go. Nice. Yeah. And, and you said feedback at MacGab dot com. I, did. I think he said feedback at mechicab.com. I did. I did. I did. Um, if you look in your inbox, Dave, they're actually, I think they're having an event in Manhattan, which unfortunately I have a conflict with, so I uh, can't go. Yeah, I was thinking about going. I'm not sure. I, I, that's a, it's a, I may have a conflict, but it might work. I've got something the night before here in New Hampshire, but I think it doesn't start till one. So I could fly down like morning mm -hmm. of and make it work. Maybe. Yeah. But these typically have really good events. Yeah. And, uh, and I really like them because I won stuff at like two of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. So thank you, Synology. That's good. 
Uh, all right. And it will, this, this episode will come out too late for this, but we will have had our, uh, sort of home theater hangout, uh, that, that John is sort of leading us through on, on Sunday, Sunday prior. So Sunday the 18th. So last night, the day before this episode comes out, but if you oh, are, I don't know if I'm going to be leading. Well, if anything, I think I'm trailing because well, you still don't work the way I want. Well, you'll lead the way and everybody like that's the beauty of these hangouts, though, is like everybody. No one's an expert because everybody's an expert at their own little things. Like I, I you know, on the ones that I've led, I, you know, I set the topic and kind of let the disc- it's just a hangout. Everybody shares. It's not this, mm-hmm. you know, three to many thing that we do when we do the show. Mm-hmm. It is a everybody's in it together. We're all hanging out. So, um that, that that's the point is yeah and none of us you're right none of us know everything except uh dunning kruger <laughs> look it up it's fun <laughs> you want to take us to alan and see if we can answer his question yeah i hope we can all see? right so alan says i have two air print printers a brother laser printer model whatever i don't think it matters uh and an epson uh coloring chat both printers are visible and function just fine on our iphones and our ipads both mine and my wife's but they simply do not show up on the Mac. Ad printer does not see them. This has been consistent for five or six months, though at least uh, through at least one Mac software upgrade. Uh, I'm currently still in Monterey, but the problem dates back, I think, to Catalina. There was a period where the printers disappeared and reappeared at random on our iDevices, but that seems to have stopped. Uh, I've gotten kind of used to copying files to Dropbox so I can print from my phone or iPad, but I'm really tired of it. Uh, I thought upgrading the OS would help, but it does not. Can you help? I'm sure that both printers and all our Apple devices are on the same local network. Okay. Um, I mean, I would say that your printing configuration on the Mac is broken. <clears throat> and uh, how do you fix that? Well, I'll tell you. Or Apple will tell you, because Apple has a dandy article called Reset the Printing System on Your Mac to Solve a Problem. And what that does for you is it it basically gets rid of all the printers that you have and resets other things underneath the covers, I would imagine. And the way you do this is you go to System Preferences, Printers and Scanners. Oh, and look, I have no printers available anymore. Great. Maybe you reset um, your printing system. <laughs> Yeah, I, I better. Yeah, why did that happen? You know, I think it's because I just did an OS upgrade. I've had them trash printers before. Anyways, so you go to printers and scanners and right-click or control-click, I guess. Right-click on the area where there should be printers. And even though I don't have any, you will get a dialogue saying reset printing system. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I- uh, somebody... Yeah, somebody has a pointer. I thought I, I thought we addressed it. Uh, are the Macs on the same Wi-Fi? Um, the the person that wrote in said he's sure they are on the same local network. So yeah, I would I obviously confirm that for anybody who's going through a problem like this. I would also take a look at what sort of filters you have either on your Mac or your router. So firewalls, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that I, I would disable all firewalls on your Mac. I would also make sure. Some routers allow you to isolate your networks, right? So you can, you know, if the Macs are connected via Ethernet, for example, and the the printer and the iPhones are connected via Wi-Fi, uh, 
it, they, like they should be connected together, but your router can very easily VLAN those. Uh, and many routers have for a long time offered the option to separate the two. And so it doesn't let devices talk back and forth. So I would I would check those settings or just if your Mac's not already on Wi-Fi, move it to a Wi-Fi network that is the same as the one that the printer is on, the same as the one that the, you know, just because it has an IP address in the same range does not mean that your router is going to allow traffic across that hump because it is a bridge, right? You're, even though your Wi-Fi and your, you know, you all got the same IP range, all that stuff. There is a bridge in your router from the Wi-Fi network to the Ethernet network, and it can very easily be disabled uh, via software. So I that that's where I would start looking with this. But resetting the printing system, it's like, yeah, it, that's not going to hurt. I would also try just figuring out what the IP address of the printer is. The printer might tell you maybe you can see it on your iPhone. I don't know. But figure out maybe your router will tell you. And then try pinging that from your Mac. And by pinging, I mean you open up the terminal, you type the word ping, followed by a space, followed by whatever the IP address is of that device. If you can't ping it, chances are you're not going to be able to talk to it to get a, uh, a you know a printing message through, usually. Uh, some devices block pings, but not generally not printers and things like that. So, um, that, you know, as I often say, we approach all these things with the, if I were there, what would I do next? And, and so now I've thrown the next four things that I would do, not in, in, in no particular order, just to try and it's all about bullheaded persistence, right? You keep trying things until one of them works. So, yeah. And uh, I'll point out Kiwi Graham pointed out uh, in the chat that uh, if you know doing the manual IP setup can avoid the whole air print discovery. Fair, process. right. There might just yeah. be a discovery issue. Ah, great point. If you know the IP, just put it in there. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's actually how I'm set up. My laser printer, my ancient laser printer, uh, I actually set up using an LPD connection. Yeah. And then type in the IP address and, and it works fine. And then it's like, oh, well, okay, is it PostScript or PCL? And it's like, well, yeah, but we'll go with PostScript. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I like your tip about the uh, firewall as well, because, uh, yeah, the firewall may get in the way. Um, I mean, there's a provision for you to add processes that are allowed to talk. But, sure. Um, yeah. I couldn't find one that was, you know, like a, a print thing. Right. So. Right. And this is another reason why I am absolutely not a fan of a sort of default practice of putting all my, you know, quote unquote IOT devices on a separate guest network because it's sim symptom. I, I'm not proposing that that's what's happening here, but this is what would happen if you isolated your printer on a different Wi-Fi network. The whole idea of isolating means your Macs and iPhones can't talk to it. So, um, so, you know, be, be aware of how much security you're putting into place on things like this. Walter brings an interesting question. I have some ideas for Walter. He says, uh, I have a question. Is, my question is related to iCloud syncing among several Macs. My main Mac is an M1 Mini with a 500 gig drive. I also have an Intel Mini with a one terabyte drive. I just rebuilt a 2015 MacBook Pro and added a 240 gig OWC SSD. I have Monterey. 
Once I completed the build of the MacBook Pro, I noticed its hard drive started downloading items from my iCloud drive. I tried to keep most items on the drive, uh, on the on iCloud. I also found my M1 Mini was using more space as well and was also downloading more items from iCloud drive. It appears both the MacBook Pro and M1 are downloading the same items uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, do you know of a way to see the specifics of what is being downloaded and or how I can stop the sync download? The total size of the download is about 50 gigs and my full iCloud drive shows 65 gigs using GetInfo. The other Intel Mac mini is not showing the same iCloud sync download, which just adds to my dumbfoundedness. If you have any ideas or solutions, I would appreciate them. We are always happy to uh, to share what we know, and sometimes we tell you more than we know. Uh, if you go into System Preferences, click on your name, Apple ID, whatever that is, and then go to iCloud, and then iCloud Drive Options, uh, you can see what is being synced there. That's one place to kind of look. Also on that screen where you clicked the options button. So this may be the reason that one device is getting more than the other, right? Because if you're not syncing the same subset of iCloud drive, well, then you wouldn't be getting the same amount of data. But on that main sort of Apple ID screen and system preferences at the towards the bottom, there is a checkbox for optimize Mac storage. What this does is intelligently, and maybe I should use air quotes, although I've seen it work fairly well intelligently decides which things to keep on your Mac and which things to free up from your Mac. So on, especially on your, you know, your, your devices with limited storage, whatever those might be for you checking this box. I turn this on, on my laptops because I don't need the entire contents of my iCloud drive on all the time. Uh, It, you know, it, it, I always seem to have what I need. I think it, you know, it looks at what you're using recently, and make some decisions on your behalf. And, uh, I, you know, anytime I travel, the things that I want seem to be there. So, uh, you know, it, it works for me. Uh, maybe it'll work for you. If you want to dig deeper, however, there are two tools that will let you see what's going on. You can't, you can sort of control things with this. And these are from Howard Oakley over at Eclectic Light. They are called Cirrus and bailiff uh cirrus takes control of icloud as the description says investigates and diagnoses its problems what's cool is you can look at things and choose whether or not you want to like you can ch- say download requested and it will pull one of them down now it doesn't keep icloud from deciding later to change that you're not getting to like really tell it things but you can tell it things temporarily um and so you know, it says uh, it can download and evict items from local storage so that you can manage them properly. It provides full details about files and folders held in iCloud. It performs a test file upload, which can help unstick pending uploads. And it provides specialized access to iCloud related log activity. So you get quite a bit more control with this than you do with Apple's interface. Um, and then Bailiff also does sort of the same thing, but it's a menu bar item where you can do the same thing. You just select an item in the finder and then you can either choose to evict it, meaning don't store it on your Mac or download it, do store it on your Mac. So these things, you know, they can't change the future, but they can change the present. So if you've got something, you know, you want to download, download it. 
if you want something, you have something you know you don't want on your Mac, evict it, right? And so these are these are handy tools if you are in the scenario where you feel you need more control over iCloud. So uh, we'll put a link to them in the show notes because they're good tools. Thoughts from this, guys? I got nothing. Okay. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, Howard Oakley, like he invokes yeah. magic with this stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah like, it's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I've got some work to do now. I can yeah. Do <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I, a lot. <laughs> I, I, I would caution people to use these um, in, in a, uh, in a, only for specific scenarios. This isn't the kind of thing to um, to to use all the time. I, actually, I'd be curious if anyone is using this sort of as a, a as part of their workflow, as a part as opposed to part of their troubleshooting flow, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, because I, I'm not sure that it's it's really. Um, you know, Apple's. If you've got that box, the optimized Mac storage box checked. It's going to it's going to like make decisions in the future. Although if you are in a scenario where you don't, for example, you don't have it checked. Right. In theory, you've got everything downloaded on your Mac. Then if you've got one file that is not updating, well, then being able to evict that one file and sort of force a redownload would be a very handy thing. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. All right. Moving on here. John, you want to take us to Joel? Yes. Um, jo- sorry, Joe, not things. Joel. Yeah. Let's talk about things people don't want, Dave. <laughs> um, all right. So Joe says, like everybody else, I get a steady stream of scam calls coming from phone numbers located all over the country, with many imitating the first six numbers of my phone number. Uh, I've set my phone to ignore callers not in my contacts, so I only see those calls were received when I look into my recents tab. Previously, I would religiously add these callers to my blocked callers list and delete the call from my recents tab. Blocking the number requires that you press the info button on the number, press block this caller, and then confirm that I want to block it. Tedious. I recently realized that since the scammers are spoofing the phone numbers that appear on my caller ID, there's no point in blocking those numbers. Now I simply delete them from the recents tab to get rid of the visual clutter. I figure that the worst thing that could happen is that the scammer uses the same spoof number twice. But since I never hear those calls, who cares? Uh, The only time I will use block this caller feature is when it's actually somebody who I know who's become persona non grata. Whoa, I've had one of those. (laughs) Two of them, actually, um, uh, to the point that I don't want to. John doesn't take my calls anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're still in my contacts. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, yeah. So so he says, yeah, there, there may be a reason to block if it's someone that you don't want to hear from, but you could just delete them from your contacts. <laughs> maybe. Um <laughs> Maybe that would solve it. Uh, happily, this hasn't happened in many years, but I imagine there are scenarios where it would be useful. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm with Joe. I, I got over blocking numbers because, yeah, it was like a typically moving target. So, yeah, I just rely on the same thing. And every now and then go through my list, get rid of the ones that are red, which means that I didn't answer and it rolled over. Um, settings, phone, silence, unknown callers uh, for me, reduce the number of 
oh, let me fake the first six of your phone number and you'll think it's somebody that you know because it, that's never the case. Yeah. <laughs> and if they, and if it is important business, generally they will leave a voicemail and you can call them back. I, yeah. That's been my philosophy with, but I know it's not my colleagues. Um, I typically, if you don't identify yourself or leave a message, then it's probably not that important. Well, my philosophy is based on experience. I have, uh, I, I find that, Generally speaking, answering every phone call is a good thing. I mean, I can I can get rid of someone pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but I've also had many opportunities that in life that would not have happened if I let a phone call go. I mean, I don't. But that said, I don't. It's not like I'm answering calls in the midst of doing this show. Right. Like I, there are if it's not convenient for me to answer a call, then I won't answer a call. But if I'm just sitting there and I could and I'm already interrupted by the fact that. Uh, you know, I have this whole idea about about like focus and spotlighting. And if I'm in the middle of something and I'm interrupted, it's going to take me time to get back into it. Right. So if the call has already interrupted me, it's like, all right, well, but fine. You know, they didn't know what I was doing. It's not their fault. So let me answer the phone and see what it is. And like I said, there have been lots of opportunities. And maybe it, I'm trying to think there have been like actually one fairly significant business event uh, slash opportunity happened because I answered a call, but also, you know, with my, my musical life, my musical business, when the phone rings or a text comes in about, you know, are you available for this gig? A lot of times, man, like if you don't answer right away, that opportunity has passed, right? Oh Someone's God, sure. like, for example, I played last night, the night before, uh, at 10 PM, I did not, I thought I was going to be on the couch on Thursday night, which was fine. And then at like 1030, someone from a club that I know texted me and he's like, I'm in a bind. I, you know, my, my act for tomorrow night canceled or whatever. Can you do it? And I was like, all right, let me text the other guys. And they answered too. And one of the two of them was able to do it. So we did a duo and it was a blast. But uh, nice. yeah, you know, but like, that's why it's like in today's world, I think you, if, if you want to participate in today's world, I think you've got to be kind of you know, on top of things. And so I, I just answer my phone. It's just not a big deal. Yeah. I, I will say that on occasion when I've been bored, I've been known to answer and engage. Yeah. And I think my record is almost 51 minutes. Oh man. That's not, yeah. That's not. Oh, let me get my credit card. You know, Hey dude, if you want to keep going, I'm wasting your time. You're not calling other people while you're trying to get a credit card number for me. I'm looking for my credit card. I recommend, and I don't think the guy produces content anymore, but there's a guy that called himself the touchtone terrorist. I think you would love this guy. Now I get to talk about one of my favorite podcasts and one of my favorite people. We've mentioned Allison Sheridan's No Silicast podcast pretty much every time she writes into the show, and she contributes a lot to the Mac Geek Gab community here. The NoSillaCast is an unusual show in that you can consume it as a podcast or as a separate detailed blog post. Whether it's a product review, tiny tips, a rant about things that don't work, or a tutorial on how to do a nuke and pave with diagrams, you get it all in both forms. If you listen to the podcast, you always have the blog post for links and refreshers on what she's explained. 
His solo show has been running for over 17 years without missing a single weekly episode. She's been doing this longer than us. And I say solo show, but a huge part of the non-silicast is that every other week, Bart Bouchotts and Allison do a segment called Security Bits, where Bart explains the latest security news and tells us whether to light our hair on fire about it or not. Allison has an enthusiastic community on Slack and does a live show every Sunday night at 5 p.m. Pacific where the Nocilla castaways gather around to listen and chat with each other while she creates the show. Look for the Nocilla cast in your podcatcher of choice and read all the content at podfeet.com. While you're there, check out our other podcasts like Programming by Stealth, also with Bart Shots, Chit Chat Across the Pond, Light and Taming the Terminal. And our thanks to Allison for, well, for, for all of her help with Mac Geek Gab and everything over the years. All right. I know we're running longer than normal and we started later than normal. But if you guys have a couple extra minutes, I would love to share some cool stuff's found if that works. All right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's see how uh, let's see how far we can get, how quickly we can do these. John, you want to start us with Dave Mark? Yeah, another another Twitter jam. Um, I've been seeing in various forms of media, people are saying, how do I know all the features in iOS 16? Where is it? Is it on the phone somewhere? Actually, sometimes I'll get random tips, offering of tips. So, yes. And I think, but, you know, that that's kind of touch and go, I think. Sure. What if there was a manual, Dave, which you could read? And guess what? There is. So, at least for iOS 16, you can go to Apple's Books application and search for iOS 16, or we're going to give a direct link to it as well. Yeah. So if you want to find out all the, and actually I should probably read it because there's probably a lot of features I know nothing about. It's true, right? Like, yeah, there's the, yeah, fair. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, man, Mike sent in this cool stuff found. He says it is a, it is a very geeky, but very useful command line. Cool stuff found called top grade. And you install it with Homebrew if you want or any other way, but it's just brew install top grade. It's in the show notes already. You don't need to worry about it. Mike continues, it is essentially an updater for a lot of the command line tools that we often use, including Homebrew itself, Homebrew Casks, Ruby Gems, Yarn, Node, OhMyZSH, Mac App Store, Mac System Upgrades, PIP, Antigen, Antibody, and countless others that I do not use, he says, but someone else might. I run it every one to two weeks, and I'm sure there's a way to automate this, but I just haven't delved into that rabbit hole yet. It has only one command, top grade. That's all you do. Once it's installed, you type it, sit back, relax, and let it do its thing. And when it's done, all of your tools have been updated to the latest stable versions. Yeah, I ran it, and immediately, like, it's it's super meta to install a, a tool like this with Homebrew and then have it update Homebrew itself. Like, there's this this whole, like, I love it. Uh, and then it upgraded oh my ZSH. And then for me, Ruby, it upgraded my TLDR database, which is another great command. Brew install TLDR P- pip three. Like he said, all that good stuff. Um, and it, it, oh, and it, and my Mac OS system, I had not updated to the latest Monterey on whatever machine I was on. And so it was like, yeah, go get this one too. So thank you for that, Mike. I know it's geeky, but it is good. All right. Uh, you want to take us to cure it, John? I feel like we've got time for one or two more here. Uh, yeah, so Great. Look, let's go here. So Kira says, there was a discussion in 946 about mail clients. I want to mention MimeStream. It is still in beta, but it works great. It is what MailPlane was, but is no longer available. 
it is free. Please read. Uh, and Jason Snell even wrote an article about it. So I guess we can link to that. Um, it seems to be a G. Uh, I read quickly, and it looks to be a Gmail only client. Yeah, but I could be wrong because I haven't. Okay, no, I think that's right. I think that's what the the previous one, but Mail Mailplane or something was Gmail only. Yeah, it it essentially. If I re- I haven't used MimeStream, but Mailplane, if I'm remembering correctly, was just essentially a web view onto Gmail that allowed you to use keyboard commands in meaningful ways. Is uh, kind of how that I don't know that that was that was my memory of it. So, yeah. All right. One last one. Right. We can we can do one more. Don't you think? OK, one more. Yeah. One more. Great. Uh, Greg shares with us. We were talking in episode 946 about permissions and things like that. And he said that uh, John from St. Clair Software sent him an article about how to reset privacy permissions in Mac OS Monterey. This is something that has not really been doable, at least not in an Apple way, uh, for many OS versions. They took it out of disk first aid, but there is a, uh, a it's a whole article about how it works and then the commands to do it. And the it's the beginning of the article is sort of the complex part about the behind the scenes and then towards the end are the uh, specifics for just using it's a command called TCC util to reset permissions in a variety of ways. And you can issue if you want to reset all the permissions for all the apps, you would use sudo TCC util reset all all the commands are in the article. We will link to it so that you can read and uh, and all that stuff. So fascinating. I love it. I love it. Anything else, or uh, shall we let the band keep coming in? Here comes the band. Here comes the band. The TCC Util, though, reminds me. And that this kind of geek challenge, I don't know. Sure. DR Util. My son has a 10-year-old MacBook Pro, and he can't get a disc out. I've looked at an article that said, here are the five things to do, including going into single user mode and using DR Util to get that thing to eject. And it's not coming out. I'm afraid I'm going to have to take the airplane. I'm going to have to take the, the MacBook apart. Don't take the airplane apart. Airplane's on my mind, brother. Don't take the airplane apart, Pete. <laughs> huh. Okay. So ejecting a disc from a what What model machine? 10-year-old Pro. 10-year-old MacBook Pro. Yeah. There used to be. It's a, it's a, we're talking about a, a CD, right? Yes. Okay. There used to be like a tiny little... Like you, you like could put a pinhole on yeah. one mm-hmm. side or the other of that drive. So, like, shine a light in there. You might have to like peek the the like the the little fuzzies apart or whatever. But uh, it, you know, like, yeah, like there might be a physical eject switch okay. in there. So, Perfect. yeah, take I'll a try. Look. Yeah, floppy drives had the same thing, and typically it would. Uh, it would be shaped uh, about the same as a paperclip. So yeah. stuff a paperclip in there and yeah, yeah. you'll probably engage a mechanical eject mechanism. Yeah. Awesome. I'll look for it. Cool. All right. That's it. That's what we got. If you want, if you yeah. if you haven't had enough of that guy, Pilot Pete has his own show, So There I Was, at So There I Was dot US. Our yeah. bandwidth. Let me, oh, I'm sorry, because let me quickly tease it. Oh, it this, sure. isn't for, this isn't just for pilots. Our next show next week is if anybody's been in the military or knows anybody that's been in the military, we have a man who did eight years as a drill instructor out of his 20-year career. 
and Fig and I could hardly breathe. We were laughing so hard at the wow. stories this man had to tell. So if you know anybody even that's been in the military, this this man was a drill instructor. And oh my God, is he funny? Wow. And I put a glossary up for all the terms that we use that you don't understand. We've put a glossary up. Oh, amazing! That's super Arizona smart. US. Yeah. Ah. So, come see us, and thank you, everybody. Our listenership is growing. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So who cash else are we thinking? Oh yeah, no, we were, we're Cashfly, right? Who provides all the bandwidth to get uh, the show from us to you? It also gets uh, so there Maybe I was you. from yeah. from them to you. That's right. And Mac Geek Cab merch is available at macgeekcab.com slash merch. Additionally, we would love your reviews. So this week, that is my ask. Go to macgeekab.com slash reviews. That's the closest we can get you from there. You just got to click a couple more times and then you'll see it right there in, in Apple Podcasts so that you can leave us a review. Thank you so much, everybody. We are, we know how fortunate we are to get to do this show. And we're thankful for your, uh, for the fact that you listen, the fact that you send all this stuff in. We love it. Can't wait to do it again next week. We're happy to. Yeah. Make sure to check out our sponsors, as we mentioned throughout the episode, collide.com slash MGG, upside with code MacGeekCab, and coda.io slash MGG. John, what do you have to share, my friend? All I can say, Dave, is we made it to the end, and you know what that means. That means that we didn't get caught. Made up.